he's not saying much to begin with, but he does grab the physician by the coat, kind of pushes him back against the wall, yells in his face, and then tosses him out of the palaquin, considering him useless to him if he can't do anything. And he lands on the dusty floor outside, sandals askew. It's very, you know, like if there's a TikTok video, this would probably go viral of him falling out of this palaquin. Welcome to Casuals of Runeterra Book Club. I'm your host, Ryan, and we're here with the Runation novel again. Uh, this episode, we're going to cover chapters uh, four, five, and six, uh, which are also as solid as the previous chapters. Uh, but up top, as usual, we're doing housekeeping, so you can listen to us everywhere. Uh, if you're listening to us somewhere and you want to go somewhere else, we're there as well. Contact us at podcastcore at gmail.com. Visit us at podcastcore.com for all of our info. Follow us on any platform uh, or all the platforms because that helps us with discoverability. And then leave a like, comment, or short review. We appreciate it. Uh, the easiest way is to tell a friend to discover the locations of forbidden artifacts by listening to the Casuals of Runeterra podcast. Uh, so let's hop into it. So chapter four, uh, we turn a corner. We turn a big corner. Uh, it's a year and a half after Viego's coronation. But for Ehrlich, it's been 15 years from the prologue. So if you remember in the previous episode, we talked about Ehrlich Grail to start off the chapter uh, and then swap to Callista. We're back, right? We're back in those dungeons with the Thresher himself. So Ehrlich at this point, he's a Thresher, but he has no hope of escaping this job. Like I mentioned, it's been 15 years. And he's coming to that realization that he's stuck here, right? Uh, in addition to this, he's been overexposed to the darkness of these corridors under Helia, and it's affecting his mental health. You see this, you know, in the real world when you put psych patients or people in solitary confinement for long periods of time, mental degradation is a thing and it's happening to him. And it's starting to cause dark thoughts and take his personality, which is already a little bit on edge, and push it further. Uh, one benefit, though, if you want to give him a plus, is that he's starting to understand these dungeons like the back of his hand. He's able to navigate these dungeons blind if he needed to. Uh, but he's starting to have more time to think, and he's seething over the fact that, you know, due to not being wealthy, due to not having privilege, due to not being religious in this world, he's essentially lost to society, right? They don't care to include him in the real world. His only purpose now is that of a thresher. So the main purpose of this chapter, though, is that one night he returns to find his room, the heavy padlock on his door, is broken. And someone is currently in there just messing up his stuff. And he finds out it's Prefect Maxim, uh, who's essentially a supervisor uh, over the group of threshers that he belongs to. And he's discovering all of these forbidden artifacts and tomes and books that Ehrlich has been keeping in his room under a secret chest compartment that only he knew about. And as, you know, Ehrlich finds him and Maxim turns around to see Ehrlich, he kind of smiles wickedly at him in anticipation of the trouble this will cause Ehrlich. Uh, and in a sinister voice, he says, this is the end for you, Grail. And Ehrlich makes a choice. Uh, but we're moving on to the next chapter. <laughs> chapter five. So chapter five 
is broken into essentially two scenes. We return to Callista and Viego's army, same time frame as I mentioned before. They're marching back to the capital of Camavor, and it's terrible weather conditions. You know, they're describing the army's hungry, thirsty. Uh, there hasn't been much rain. It's essentially walking across a desert. Uh, and in addition to this, there are some soldiers who are carrying a palaquin, which is essentially like a small trailer. Uh, they're carrying it on their shoulders over a bunch of, you know, soldiers. Uh, and it contains Viego, a medical advisor, and the unconscious queen, and a bunch of furniture and unnecessary stuff, uh, which lends more to this, you know, this theory going on in Calessa's head or this conflict going on in her head about how commoners and soldiers are treated versus royalty, et cetera. But Callista's walking up into the palaquin to join the dire situation, which is that the queen is still unconscious in a bed. Viego's distraught and the royal advisor, uh, the royal physician, uh, is hopeless, right? Uh, she mentions also as she walks into the palaquin how she's adding weight to an already cumbersome situation for the soldiers underneath, and that kind of tortures her uh, mentally as she's, you know, joining another situation, which is also equally as bad. The queen is dying. The king is in shambles. But the royal physician, Ramon, is telling the king, he's like, listen, I've done everything I can within my power. I'm, they've even used Mikhail's chalice, which they got from the previous raid, uh, where Nekrit helped them pour water into it, which it enchanted, and that water was trying helping the queen, you know, rest essentially kind of putting her in a coma situation but the poison is still spreading right and Ro ramon is telling him that or ramen sorry there's no e on the end ramen is telling them uh you know this is an unavoidable outcome the poison's still spreading we can't do anything else and viego pops off uh he's not saying much to begin with but he does grab the physician by the coat kind of pushes him back against the wall, yells in his face, and then tosses him out of the palaquin, considering him useless to him if he can't do anything. And he lands on the dusty floor outside, sandals askew. It's very, you know, like if there's a TikTok video, this would probably go viral of him falling out of this palaquin. Um, but after he does that, Callista, you know, lightly berates him because she's still in a certain position. Uh, and Viego before rushing out to the physician's aid, right? Because that's the type of person Callista is. And while she's there, some more themes come back up, right? He, the aide mentions how he feels for the king's situation. We all get it. This, is, this sucks. But he fears more about what the king will become when the queen ultimately passes away. Uh, he also mentions something that we've heard before, where there's a need for Callista to take action and possibly take control of the kingdom before things get bad. And Callista immediately stops him and is like, you know, watch your words. Uh, but deep down, she too is concerned. We know that. Uh, and then, you know, Ramen decides, okay, I can't do this anymore. I'm happy to have served your family up to this point, but I'm leaving this position as royal physician. And he kind of walks away from her into the distance. Uh, and that's where we end that first scene. So then we come to scene two. And in scene two, uh, we're at a meeting, another meeting of the Order of the Knights, uh, along with Callista and Ladros by her side. He's always there. Uh, and they're in Hecram's lavish tent, as lavish as the palaquin, right? Another visual indicator of the royalty and, you know, this this abundance of wealth versus 
right outside is the commoner soldiers who do all the work. Um, but Sayodana again is making a scene. He's enraged and he's demanding that they make someone pay. And when asked, okay, well, who do we make pay, Mr. Sayodana? Uh, he's like, uh, Port Takan? Why not? And everyone's like, that's an ally. Why would we attack them? We don't know they did it and they're an ally. And Sayodana mentions, well, Santorus was an ally as well. And Lord Ordano is like, okay, I'm the religious zealot here. And he says that was a holy war. It was ordained by priests. Sayodana then pokes him in questions. Well, do you know the true motive of the Camivorian priest? Because they're as bad as politicians, essentially. And that sends Ordano into a fit. So now everyone's going at each other's necks. Callista then berates Sayodana because he said Port Takan, which is close, just happens to be next door to the stronghold of the Golden Shield, which Sayodana represents, and their demise would strengthen his claims. And then Hecarim pops off and kind of interrupts the whole situation by pulling out a weapon. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, you're at a club, somebody starts shooting, ruins everything. Hecarim pulls out his sword and essentially tells Sayodana, hey, Stop the nonsense line of thinking. We already have the queen dying right outside and the king's in shambles. There's nothing we can do. This march has been hell. Stop this during these trying times. And he apologized to Callista for his outburst, Hecram that is, and Sayodana just leaves. He books it. He finds an excuse to leave the tent. Uh, and during this whole interaction, he bounces, right? And people start filing out after that because the whole mood has been ruined. And Ladros as well has been tense this whole moment because he expected a fight to break out and he's going to make sure nothing happens to Callista or at least be in her corner. Um, and after, you know, everyone leaves, Ladros turns to Callista and she, he asks her, do you believe Hecram's intentions are true? Like, he seems like a good guy. He's royalty too, but it seems like he's putting on a mask, right? And she says, for the time being, she hopes so. She believes in this act. If it is, if it is one, uh, and she hopes for the best. And that's where we end chapter five. So chapter six and our final chapter for this episode of the book club, uh, we go back to Ehrlich and Ehrlich is in his room, chilling, sleeping and woken up by banging at the door. And he opens the door and there's two guard like messengers here. They're known as custodians uh, and they tell him Magister Nizana wants to talk to him. Not why she wants to talk to him. They don't care enough to give him that information. Uh, but Ehrlich knows she's usually cold and ruthless. If she wants a meeting with him of all people, it's not going to be good. So he thinks they know about him stealing artifacts, books, etc., and keeping them in his room. Uh, and at this time, he's kind of tense. He's holding this hidden knife, uh, waiting to see what's going to happen, talking to the messengers, feeling it out. But ultimately, he decides to go with them without resisting. So this takes us to Nizana's headquarters or office, whatever you want to call it. And they have a brief interaction. Uh, she's trimming what looks like a bonsai tree that's been alive for like 300 years. And she's grandstanding about certain ideals. And I want to read a quote here. As she's trimming, as she talks to Grail, she says, cutting away the weakness, she declared, a tree has only so much energy to spend of course, sunlight, water, nutrition help, but if left unattended, the tree will waste precious in energy, 
producing leaves and branches that will weaken its integrity, weaken its aesthetic. And Grail challenges that. He says, that's decided by you, right? That's not decided by the tree or by the nature. It doesn't care. It just wants to do its own thing, right? It shouldn't have its its life and its situation decided by you uh, in less words because he doesn't want to upset her because remember, he still doesn't know why he's here. So she goes on to kind of switch this, you know, altruistic stance. And she's like, well, I ensure its roots get watered, the water they need. I ensure it receives the sunlight it craves. It lives and dies by my whim. To this tree, I am God. I would say my opinion is the only one that matters. So that gives you the, the character of Nizana to start off. So he was right. She's cold and ruthless. And Ehrlich just stops arguing at that point uh, because she then equates this to how she handles the threshers and how she manages the threshers to what she said about this tree. So that's not good. Anyways, why is he here, right? So they get to that. They ask him, do you know? He doesn't. He plays it coy. Uh, she tells him that your supervisor is missing, essentially. We can't find Maxim. And did he know anything about the suspicious event? Ehrlich, still hiding the blade, by the way, just in case he has to use it. You got to keep that thing on you. Uh, he feigns ignorance. And he's hoping that that will allow him to avoid banishment. Because if you're caught stealing artifacts, banishment is pretty much the, the result. And she's not the lenient type. She doesn't care how small the crime is, how big the crime is. Banishment is her go-to. And after a brief moment, she says, well, we believe Maxim, who is missing, was the one responsible for the theft and decided to run away to avoid being judged. And Ehrlich sighs, you know, great relief that that's their position. Then the cherry on top is she promotes him to Maxim's position as a prefect. So that's definitely a big one for him, right? So he's essentially, you know, Chewing gum, blowing bubbles, kicking his feet, strutting back to his room, and he passes his room, heads deeper and lower into the dungeon, and he heads down this rarely traveled path to a room that's also rarely visited by anyone. Like most of these threshers don't even know it's there because of how long he's been isolated and how long he's been down there, he knows. And as he enters the room, there's somebody chained up that's whimpering, and they're in rough shape. They're beaten up. And also in this room, there are many instruments meant for torture. Uh, wink, wink, nod, nod again to Ehrlich in the future. Uh, and Ehrlich smiles with an evil grin and says, good morning, Prefect Maxim. So we found him. <laughs> we found the missing body. And that's where the chapter ends uh, for six. So I think like these three chapters, you know, kind of my thoughts so far where we're at, still enjoying it. Um, still tearing through this book uh, and it's a cool change of pace right it, it, there's a lot of jumping that's already happened because they're giving you kind of the early stuff like we had the prelogue with the Ehrlich stuff and then you know we hopped a couple months slash years to the battle of Santorus and then we hop back to where we are now with the queen situation so we're jumping a good bit I think we're going to settle into a pace from this point forward as the story just progresses into the meat and potatoes of what happens during the runation which if you've listened to our runation episodes definitely listen to those you'll have some sense of what's going on uh, but we're gonna get more nuance because it's a book right there's more there's more written here so as always thanks for listening 
and we'll be back soon with the next book club episode so keep an eye out and as hetch would always say take care everybody <laughs>